Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Today, before we get into the message, I have a two, well, actually three very special people uh, to come, and we're going to pray with them. Uh, this is Riley and Madison Williamson and their daughter. Riley has worked in our student ministry. He's been on staff with us, and uh, he's just finished up seminary. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's been a progression that, you know, he felt big picture God called him into ministry. And uh, then they felt like God called them to go overseas. And now they are going to a very specific place, and they're going to South Korea. And so, Riley, just share with people where you're going and what you're going to be doing. So we are going to Pyeongtaek, South Korea, about 40 miles south of Seoul, with an organization called Club Beyond um, to minister to the, the middle, middle school and high school teenagers on the military base over there called Camp Humphreys. And tell us about Camp hum- Humphreys. So Camp Humphreys is the largest U.S. overseas military base in the world, um, probably close to 60,000 people. There's four Burger Kings on base, if that helps put it into perspective. Four Burger King. Yeah. So a city at this point. Um, but there's a middle and high school on base, which is what the ministry is kind of catered towards. And the, the base is actually talking about beginning construction on another middle and high school beginning in 2025. So you're targeting like 3,000 students. Close to that, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be amazing. And so uh, you're leaving in January. Yes, sir. And uh, Gateway is uh, being our... You know, he's coming out of our church, but also we're sponsoring uh, them. And through your faithful giving to our missions offering, uh, we're helping to support them. But if you would like to be on their prayer team or know more about what they're doing specifically, uh, they'll be down here at the front at the end of the service. Come by and they'll get your contact information of how to put you on their prayer list. And uh, just so that you can be more personally involved and uh, your Fund your support. You're you're at what percentage now? Hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. God's been really faithful. We are. We are. That's yeah. awesome. No, it's something to celebrate. It's awesome because we've been. I mean, yeah. we've really been support raising for about five and a half months. So yeah. it has been a cool work. Um, we're just waiting on the visa process That's, now. Yeah. So can I get a refund? And uh, no, just, just kidding. Um, <clears throat> we're we're excited about what God God is doing through their life. And, uh, and the most important thing, you know, obviously you help somebody financially, but the most important thing we do is help them spiritually through our prayers and uh, the power of your prayers. Think about this. You can pray a, pray a prayer here in Irmo, South Carolina that directly impacts a student in Seoul, Korea. And uh, that's, that's a powerful connection that we have the privilege of praying for Riley and Madison as they seek to build relationship because these are all American kids, right? Right. So, I mean, you'll learn the language to live there, but uh, you're not having to learn the language to do your ministry. Yeah, not for the 95. So that's that's gonna be amazing. So we're gonna pray for them. And so if you'll just join me as we pray for them now. Father, we thank you for Riley and for Madison. And uh, Lord, uh, thank you that we got to watch them meet each other and fall in love with each other. And, and now you've blessed them with a precious little girl. And Father, they have chosen um, to get out of their comfort zone and, uh, and do exactly what you've told them to do with their lives. 
And so you've gone before them, you have provided financially, and and now we pray that you'll provide emotionally as they uh, will be moving away from family and friends. And uh, we pray that you will give them a family there, uh, people that they can do life with apart from ministry so that they uh, can have that connection. But then we thank you in advance for the students whose lives are going to be changed for eternity because of the investment that Riley and Madison is going to make in them and sharing the gospel and discipling them. And uh, Lord, right now, we thank you. You, you, are, you already know which students you have put your hand upon and you are taking Riley and Madison there for the sole purpose of, of touching that particular life with the truth of your word. And we thank you that you're that kind of God. So we trust them to you, and we pray all this in Christ Jesus' holy name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. So at the, <clears throat> yes. <clears throat> at the end of the service, just come up here to the front, be sure to say hey to them and, uh, and get on their prayer list. So that will that makes all the difference in the world. You know, to trust trust that prayer is the defining factor. It, it really is all about the praying and the difference that that's going to make. So I I hope that you choose to be a part of that. Well, we're going to finish up this uh, series we've been doing in Romans, and we're going to finish up in Romans chapter eight. But today I want to talk about, and, and this is what we've been building up to. What does it really mean to be a spiritual person? What does that really mean? And so let's begin. Romans 8, we're going to start with verse 9, and we're going to work through this chapter. And hopefully at the end of this message, you're, you're going to, I'm going to share with you an illustration that I hope, hopefully, will pull all this together and uh, help you to really see what your life looks like, and what it could look like. So let's start with Romans chapter 8, verse 9. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. So he's talking to Christians. He's acknowledging that you have a sinful nature, but he's saying you're not controlled by that sinful nature. Uh, You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. So he's drawing some lines here, very clear lines. You have those who have the spirit of God in them and those that do not. One are believers, the others are not. And, and I want you to notice how he interchanges some of these phrases. Uh, he talks about the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. And, uh, and so that is, when you talk about the Holy Spirit or you talk about the Spirit of Jesus, you're saying the same thing. And you have, and he said he's acknowledging you do have a sin nature. <clears throat> you will live with that as long as you're in this body. So you were, were born with that sin nature. You still deal with it. Before you became a Christian, that nature controlled you. You have no choice about it. It was in charge. When you became a believer, that sin nature, it didn't leave you. It's still there. But you 
decide if it's going to control you or not. You can yield to its temptations or you can say no to its temptations. You have that power because of the power that's been put in you, and that is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. So you are controlled, you know, controlled by the Holy Spirit in contrast to the unbelievers who continue to live under the dominion of Adam's sinful nature. When Adam sinned, sin nature entered into the world, into the human gene pool, and every person, every single person, is born with that sin nature. Now, the reason Jesus did not have that sin nature is because he was not born of man. He was born of woman. And uh, so the sin nature is passed down through the man. And so this, this is why Jesus, Jesus, there's some debate about this. There are some who believe that Jesus could not sin. And I don't understand how you could say that. I, I've read all the arguments and, and I get what they're saying. But if he did not have the capacity to sin, then temptation would have meant, meant nothing to him. It, it wouldn't have mean anything. And his ability to resist the temptation was part of the qualification for him as a sacrifice for us. But well, that's a whole nother debate, a whole nother discussion. So let's don't hang our hats there. Let's get to the fact that you and I were born with a sin nature. When I became a believer, that sin nature is still there. It's just not on the throne. And it does not have control over me. I get to control it through the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Verse 10. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, so you still, we're all still under that um, um, ruling of God that the day you sin, the death process begins. That's what he said to Adam. And, and so we have to still face the consequences of that original sin, that death is a part of it. And, but for us as believers, that death, that's a temporary thing. That is the, the first death. You and I will never experience the second death, which is an eternal punishment for sin, where that's when you're separated from God for all eternity. So even though we still will die physically, and that's part of the punishment of sin, we will not die spiritually. He said, so Christ lives in you, and even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. When Jesus died for you and you accepted that, then you were made right with God. He made you righteous and right standing with him. And because of that, <clears throat> you will not experience the second death. You will not experience eternal punishment. Praise God for that. So the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives inside the biblical Christian. And the reason I say biblical Christian is we've already talked about how there are cultural Christians who are not Christians at all. They just do Christian stuff. They go to church 
<clears throat> they do all the things that they think Christians are supposed to do. So there's the cultural Christian. And by the way, um, we're, uh, you have the same thing in any other religion. Uh, I, I've, I know a lot of Muslims who I would say are just cultural Muslims. They do it because their parents did it, and they just go through the rituals, but it's not, it has no meaning to them. Versus a spiritual Christian, which, or a biblical Christian, which when you pray to receive Christ, that's when you become a biblical Christian. Galatians 4, 6. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son, here it is, interchanged again, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. In other words, the relationship has changed. The relationship has become very, very different. This word Abba is more of an intimate relationship. It, uh, it could be translated as dad or daddy. There's only two people on this planet that can call me dad, and that's my two kids. They were born into my family and Mary and I's lives, and I'm dad and she's mom, and uh, no one else can call us that because that's reserved for them. That's our family. And so we have a different kind of relationship with them than we would have with anybody else. And they're part of us. When you became a biblical Christian, your relationship with holy God absolutely changed. I'm gonna, I wanna go deeper into that in just a moment when we get to another verse. So hang on to that thought for a moment. <clears throat> in 1 John 4, 13, and God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. So the Holy Spirit is evidence that God actually lives in us. So who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. In John chapter 14, listen to what Jesus said. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Eternal security. He will never leave you. It's not based on how you live. It's based on his promise and covenant with you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Now, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. So uh, look at this picture here for a moment. You as a believer, a biblical Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. That spirit is always driving you towards truth. The truth of scripture, the truth of your choices, the truth of what's good and what's bad, what's evil, what's holy. The Holy Spirit is always revealing that to you. And, and, but it says the world, uh, you know, non-believers, they, they don't, cannot receive him because they're not even looking for him. They don't even want to know the truth. And they're not able to discern what is right and wrong. 
So when you pray to receive Christ, you receive this spirit. And that's why part of your prayer life should always be, Lord, lead me into truth. When you're dealing with tough situations, you should be praying, God, let me see truth in this situation. Let me see what's real so that I can distinguish between truth and lies. Let me know what's a lie and let me know what is truth. You don't have that ability on your own. You rely on the Holy Spirit to give, you know, you, you can have the gift of discernment, but guess where that gift came from? That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives you a gift of discernment. That means he helps you to discern truth from lies, but that's still the Holy Spirit, not you. And so I, I always pray, Lord, show me what's the right thing to do. Show me what the truth is. Uh, in this difficult situation I'm dealing with, show me truth. And he will do that every time because he is the truth. <clears throat> verse, uh, chapter 14, again, verse 26. But when the Father sends the advocate, the Holy Spirit, as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. So that means when I read my Bible, I do it with an attitude. In fact, I pray this each time I get ready to read the Bible. I say, Jesus, you know, Holy Spirit, you gave light to the writers to write these words. Now illuminate my mind and spirit to understand these words. Reveal to me the truth of what I'm reading in Scripture. Show me how it applies to my life. And that's part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you find that you are just reading words and it goes right over your head, you're not tapping in to the only source that can reveal to you what those words even mean. In fact, I want to tell you something. When you read a passage you're extremely familiar with, you still need to pray, Lord, show me the truth of this passage. That's when he'll show you things you haven't thought about before. So now here's where the truth kicks in in your life. When you pray that way and you study the Bible that way, when you're faced with situations, the Holy Spirit will remind you the truth that he has revealed to you so that you can apply that truth to the situation that you're in. And that's what will tell you what you need to do, how you make a decision. If you're not praying, if you're not relying on the Holy Spirit, you're making decisions based on your own emotions. And I want to tell you, from personal experience, it doesn't work. It may feel good and it may last for a little while, but when I make decisions based on my emotions, it tends to get me in trouble and it tends to be short-sighted because there's always <coughs> something I'm not aware of. But when I'm looking to the Holy Spirit to reveal things to me, he shows me things that I don't know about. He reveals it to me. I was talking with an individual recently and we were 
just sharing, and I, and I try to. I don't always do it. I always try to pray, Lord, just speak through me and let me ask the right questions. And and so I was meeting with an individual, and and I just made a statement. I'm not even sure where it came from. Well, I am sure it came from the Holy Spirit. I just made a statement. I was, and I just said, you know what? Here, here's what I think you deal with deep in your heart. And I made the statement. And all the color just went from their face. And they, and they said, oh, wow. You're exactly right. I said, no, I'm not right. The Holy Spirit's right. And that was exactly what needed to be said. That's what they needed to hear. I could have never done that on my power. I don't have that kind of wisdom. I don't have that kind of discernment. That only came from the Holy Spirit. God wants you to learn to so trust his spirit that you'll speak only what, I mean, Jesus said, I only say what the Father tells me to say. How many times have you gotten into trouble with your own mouth? And you thought you were all that. And you thought you knew everything. And, and usually, here's what we typically do. We typically speak out of our experiences, right? Well, your experience, just because you experience something doesn't mean it's truth. It doesn't mean that it's right. Doesn't mean that it's good. You need to learn to speak and trust to speak God's truth. Speak God's truth. Because that's what matters. That's what gets into the heart of the matter. So that Jesus sent you, <coughs> Jesus sent you the Holy Spirit when you prayed to receive Christ. Philippians 1.19. For I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. This will lead to my deliverance. So, what's another thing? What does the Holy Spirit even do? He does everything you need in your Christian life. He does everything. He is personally responsible for everything about your Christian life. Man, that means I, I need to trust him. I need to spend time with him. Uh, number three, how, when does he come into my life? Well, I've already said this. The moment you pray to receive Christ, you never have to beg him to come. So how can I, how can I truly be a biblical Christian? How can I stop being a cultural Christian and be a biblical Christian. Well, let's get back into Romans. And, and here's the first point. <clears throat> There's a new power in my life. That's how I can know I'm a biblical Christian. There's a new power in my life. Let's get back to Romans 8, verse 11. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living in you. So the Holy Spirit was the agent of the resurrection. 
And that Holy Spirit is the same agent that lives in you, that empowers you. So you have new power in your life that you did not have before you were a Christian. Secondly, you will begin to have a desire to do what is right. Verses 12 and 13. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. So he's talking to believers. So he's acknowledging you still have the sinful nature and that that sinful nature is always urging you to do what's wrong. He gives you excuses. He makes it appealing. He tells you everybody's doing it. Or the biggest lie, it's no big deal. So when I have this new power, I also have a desire to do what is right. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Verse 13, for if you live by its dictates, you will die. Now you're going to die physically, so what does he mean by dying here? Uh, well, I, I think that's a consequence of sin. I think he's also talking about you, your reputation dies. Your witness dies. Your opportunity to influence people in the right way dies. It's a big deal when I choose to live by my sin nature. He says, um, but if, if through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Now, don't miss the most important phrase in there, by the power of the Spirit. When you try to do it on your own power, it will never work. It will never last. Number three, you're, you're led by the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, <clears throat> for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You're children of God. Number four, you relate to God out of love, not fear. Romans uh, 8, verse 15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children, and now we call him dad. A very enduring name an intimate, personal name. And only a child of God can refer to him that way. Now, I'm not suggesting that you can be flippant about God's name. I'm not suggesting that you, can no, you don't have to be respectful of God's name. I mean, the Bible does tell us to to not use God's name in vain. Don't misuse his name. But he is, you have a unique personal relationship with him now that's an, that's an intimate family relationship. <clears throat> you know, in our country, out of respect for the office, whoever's president is called president. 
and is to show respect for the office. And whether you agree with the person or not, it's respect for the office. And the only people that do not have to refer to the president as president is the family. Because they're family. And yes, I always show respect to God the Father, but I'm family. And that means I, I can talk to him as a child, talking to a dad. Very personal. Father, I, I really messed up. I, I need to know what to do. I know, I, I know I've disappointed you. But I know you still love me. I know you want what's best for me. I know you've given me your spirit. I, I know these things. And I just, I just need reassurance. I need to be comforted. I, I need you to minister to me. I want to tell you, if my kids ever came to me with that kind of conversation, Dad, I, I'm hurting I just, I just need you to listen to me. I, I, I just need you to be here for me. I mean, I'm going to drop whatever I'm doing. I'm going to give full attention because they're my child. And God the Father is even more so. You, you have his undivided attention every time you talk to him. So you can be vulnerable with him. You can be real with him. That's how much he loves you. And he responds to that. He delights in that. He cares. The Bible says something like this. Precious in the sight of God whenever one of his saints dies. It's precious to him that that Person, that believer is now coming to live with him for eternity. And that's precious to God. It's precious to God. Here's another person that trusted Jesus. And they get to be in the family for eternity. That's precious to God. That's the kind of relationship he desires to have with you. That you just, you love him. You know he's always there for you. I'm also uh, confident that I am God's child. Verse 16. For this, his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. So his Holy Spirit joins with my human spirit and it gives affirmation you really do belong to me. Now, here's a great privilege that comes out of this, and this is just mind-boggling to me. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. 
Now, the glory of God, I mean, he guarded that. There were special creatures, you know, almost different from the category of angels that guarded the glory of God and called out his glory. Holy, holy, holy. I mean, 24-7, that's what they do. They're still doing that. And the thing that's most precious to God, he shares with us. I mean, you see, before Jesus, if, if anybody ever came into the presence of God, they were consumed. They did not survive that. When you pray to receive Christ, God only not, not only does he allow you into his presence, he shares his most precious aspect, his glory with you personally. You don't deserve it. You cannot earn it. But it's part of being an heir with Jesus Christ. Unbelievable, amazing. And <clears throat> I want to tell you, <clears throat> Satan wants to hide that truth from you at all times. He wants to hide the truth of God's word from you. Well, I want to close out by sharing with you something that I learned when I was in college. And um, I was a part of Campus Crusade. I was part of that ministry. It's now called Crew. And um, I'll never forget Bill Bright, who started Campus Crusade. Um, in fact, his wife, she's actually spoke at Gateway one time. They're both in heaven now. Uh, but he wrote a pamphlet about the Holy Spirit. And I've been a believer for a good long time. But when I read that, it was a deal changer. It explained things to me in a way that I could understand it. So I just want to share the essence of what it says. And basically, it talks about three kinds of people. There is the natural person. That is a self-directed life. Uh, that is someone who has not received Jesus Christ, just the natural person. And they're in control of their life. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says people who aren't spiritual cannot receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they cannot understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. That, that's why some of your friends who are not believers, when, when you talk to them about something the Bible says, they're like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Well, this verse says, well, here's why. So here's a picture of what that looks like. <clears throat> You've got your life. Jesus, a natural person. Jesus is on the outside of that person's life. Self is on the throne. And then those various circles represents all the interest and the things of that person's life. And it's usually out of order. I mean, you run from one thing to the next, and things are confusing, and uh, your life is just, you know, just, just like a ping ball, ball uh, bouncing around, and, and a lot of times life makes no sense. This is what it's like for a person who's not a believer. Now, the second kind of person is a spiritual person. This is a person who has a Christ-directed life. 
<clears throat> in other words, Jesus is in their life and Jesus is on the throne. 1 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. So here's what that life looks like. Jesus is on the throne, self has been dethroned, and then life has order to it, has purpose to it. Everything's in balance. It makes sense. You avoid the stuff that you need to avoid. You focus on what really matters, and your life just has order to it instead of chaos to it. Now, I like this. That's what I want to represent my life. But then there's a third person, and this is the one that really got my attention. There is the carnal person. And just like the natural person, they have a self-directed life. First Corinthians 3. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people, that spiritual person. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world. Now, he's still talking to Christians. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world and as though you were, you were if infants in Christ. I had to feed you milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you're still not ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You're jealous of one another. You quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your, your sinful nature? And aren't you living like the people of the world? So here's this person. <clears throat> they, um, Christ is in their life, but not in charge. And who's back on the throne? You are. And then what about the order of life? It, it looks just like the natural person. In fact, let's put all three of them up there. The one on the left, that's the natural person. Every one of you used to be there. Some of you still may be there. Jesus is on the outside of your life. Your life doesn't make sense. It's just out of whack. You seem to run from one crisis to another. But then the day came when you accepted Jesus into your life and you became a spiritual person. And Jesus was put on the throne of your life and you were dethroned and then your life began to make sense. But like most of us, you kind of backslid a little bit and you started living for self again and you went to that third circle. Jesus is still in your life, but you kicked him off the throne because you wanted to sit there and there's never ever room for two people, ever. There's never room for two. And then once you put Jesus off the throne of your life, uh, let's put those circles back up. Once you put Jesus off the throne of your life, you um, found that it went back, the chaos of your life went back to just like it was before you were a Christian. Same thing. Now, let me give you some good news. When you go from being a natural person, let's keep the circles up there, guys. Thank you. When you go from being a natural person 
to a spirit-filled person, you will never be able to go back to that. Praise God. You don't, cannot lose your salvation. I'm thankful for that because your salvation is based on who God is, not who you are. But I can go from there to there. I can go from a spirit-filled Christian to a carnal Christian. I can kick Jesus off the throne and I can crawl back up on the throne. And uh, how often can I do that? Anytime. Sometimes several times a day. Sometimes several times an hour. Now, what do I have to do to get back? It's simple. It's called confession. I agree with God that he's right and I'm wrong. And I confess whatever it was <clears throat> that put Jesus off the throne. God, I forgive, forgive me for my attitude. I agree with you. My attitude really stunk. I agree with you. I shouldn't have said what I said. I agree with you. I've let this old habit come back. And then I go back to being a spiritual Christian. Now, you can go back and forth on these time and time and time again, but hopefully as you mature as a believer, you're not jumping back and forth like a ping pong ball. Hopefully it slows down and you spend more time here as a spirit-filled Christian. And, I, and I'll tell you this. Don't believe the lie of Satan that would say one day you can become a carnal Christian one time too many and God kicks you out. That's a lie. Don't believe that. So my question is simple. Which circle represents your life right now? Right now, right in this moment. Which one do you want to represent your life? If you're a natural person, there's only one solution, and that is to say yes to Jesus. If you're a carnal Christian, you don't have to get saved again. You don't have to get baptized again. But you do have to confess. You have to agree with God that what you did stunk. And you ask Jesus to be back on the throne of your life. Praise God you don't have to ask, have to ask him to come back into your life. He never left you. Here, here's where Satan is going to work on you. When you step into that carnal Christian phase, Satan loves to heap you down, push you down with guilt and make you feel so bad you don't want to look God in the eye. You don't want to talk to God because you're too embarrassed. You're just too embarrassed about what you did. That's just a lie from Satan. And God is eagerly waiting for you to come back home. And it's just a matter of agreeing with him and talking to him. Father, you're right. So which circle do you want to represent your life? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you.
for the truth of your word. Thank you for the overwhelming evidence of your love for us. Thank you for the truth of your spirit. Thank you <coughs> that <coughs> you desire to be in our life and on the throne of our life because that's what's best for us. <coughs> I pray for life change today. In Jesus' name, amen.